Welcome to another edition of Alternative News brought to you by Romina Betsin from the Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament produced at the community radio station 3CR. Good morning, listeners. This has been a difficult year for so many of us, especially for us in Victoria with the second wave of coronavirus. We hope that wherever you are, you are keeping well. Now... Some headlines first, and I'll also speak about 75th commemoration of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and Cuba's 60 years of inspiring internationalism. On international level, Nigeria, Ireland and Nauru have just ratified the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, as people all over the world are marking the 75th anniversary of the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, these three countries have chosen to remember the victims and honour the hibakusha, the survivors, in the most meaningful way possible by taking action to ban and eliminate these weapons of mass destruction for good. Floods in Bangladesh have killed at least 129 people with over 3 million affected by the floods that caused damages to crops, houses and facilities. Landslide also took the lives of eight construction workers in Nepal. This brings Nepal's death toll from heavy rains since May to 200. Pakistan military fired at civilians a week ago on the border that separates Afghanistan and Pakistan. This led to the militaries of both countries firing at each other, with 20 civilians killed. Beirut and Lebanon are grieving after Tuesday's powerful explosion that tore through the capital's port area. Based on Al Jazeera reports, Lebanon authorities have taken into custody 16 individuals as part of an investigation into the Beirut port warehouse explosion that shook the capital. COVID-19. We are seeing the COVID-19 outbreaks, mainly in private aged care, where there are no mandated skilled staff ratios. In comparison, Victorian state-run aged care has very few cases. The difference? These facilities have mandated skilled staff. The aged care sector has never been particularly good at infection control. Over the years, thousands of residents have died from preventable causes due to poorly trained staff. If they do have skilled staff, they are too few of them. How can one nurse look after 50 residents? People are entering aged care later in life with more complex medical conditions, so it's important that the staff are skilled and aged care facilities have the right mix of skilled medical staff and personal care staff. Why should the care of vulnerable people be left with private sector? Isn't it obvious that their business for profit will look after its interest first before looking after the others? We hope this will be a lesson not to put essential services in the hands of private sector. These facilities and other essential services such as water, electricity, gas, transport, education, housing and much more must be in the hands of public. 
75th commemoration of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. With so much turmoil in the world right now, it can be difficult to step back to truly assess where we are. But we must commit to remembering the past. 6 August 2020 marks 75 years since the U.S. atomic bomb was dropped on the people of Hiroshima and on Nagasaki on 9 August 1945. The New York Times front page on 13 September 1945 reported that there was no radioactivity in Hiroshima. Only one reporter, Wilfred Burchett, an Australian journalist who was brave enough to take the dangerous journey to Hiroshima in the immediate aftershock of the atomic bombing in defiance of the Allied occupation authorities which controlled the press. Burchett reported in the London Daily Express of September 5, 1945, that this is a warning to the world. He described hospital beds filled with people with no visible injuries who were dying from what he called an atomic outbreak. For this, his press certification was withdrawn, he was criticised and smeared. His witness to the truth was never forgiven. The atomic bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki was an act of premeditated mass murder. It was justified by lies that formed the foundation of America's war propaganda. During the 75 years since Hiroshima, the most enduring lie is that the atomic bomb was dropped to end the war in the Pacific and to save lives. The day after Hiroshima was destroyed, President Harry Truman voiced his satisfaction, claiming that the experiment was overwhelming success, unquote. The experiment continued after the war was over. Between 1946 and 1958, the United States exploded 67 nuclear bombs in the Marshall Islands in the Pacific. Like Hiroshima, the secret of the Marshall Islands was a calculated experiment on the lives of large numbers of people. The U.S. has never been charged for its crime against humanity. In the last 30 years, its wars in the Middle East and its Cold War with Russia and China continues. For the U.S., the lives of millions of its citizens are in danger and livelihoods of millions more at risk. While Australians may currently be less threatened by the coronavirus, the picture on both sides of the Pacific is serious. The fact is that large parts of the global community are struggling to protect their citizens and their economies. These problems demand sustained international effort and in that every nation, including China, has a role to play. Cuba's 60 years of inspiring internationalism. Cuba's president, Miguel Diaz-Canel, on Sunday 26 July, recalled the historic leader of the Cuban revolution, Fidel Castro's legacy that triggered the most important anti-imperialist revolution in Latin America, in the 20th century. 
Millions of Cubans remembered July 26, 1953, when the lawyer Fidel Castro and a group of young revolutionaries stormed the military strongholds of Guillermo Moncada in Santiago. That was one of the first public acts of revolutionaries and represented a challenge to the dictatorship of Volcencio Batista, who ruled the island since March 1952. Despite the bravery of the attackers, both actions resulted in military failures. They were at a clear numerical disadvantage and poorly armed. The regime reacted to this action with brutal repression. After three years of a guerrilla war carried out in the Sierra Maestra mountain range, the M26 defeated Batista's dictatorship on January 1, 1959. Cuba's Foreign Affairs Minister Bruno Rodriguez said, The July 26 events marked the path of struggle and construction of a more just society, unquote. Because of the physical distancing, Cuba commemorated July 26 for the first time without the traditional act that has been held since 1959 to pay tribute to the heroes and martyrs to that deed. An online Cuba's 60 years of inspiring internationalism was held via Zoom on 27 July. Guest speaker was Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy spoke of his own experience with Cuba and the Cuban people. Here is, in part, what he said. Buenos dias, Cubanos. Buenos dias, el pueblo del mundo esta noche. Esta noche on Londres. When the um, news came through on the one news channel we had in those days, that um, Havana was now a different city and a different management, and that Fidel and the revolutionary forces had reached Havana. And my mother heard this and rushed upstairs to my bedroom to tell me that Cuba has changed at last. I was only 10 years old and I the next morning got an atlas out and checked out where Cuba was and I thought that's really great. And um, ever since then, I've been very impressed by the way in which for all the isolation that's been imposed on Cuba, the blockade of Cuba and the economic attacks on Cuba, Cuba has achieved immense changes within its society, education freely available for all, healthcare freely available for all, and all the other things that um, ought to be part of everyone's life all around the world. The economic development of Cuba has been immense. I've had the pleasure of visiting Cuba on three occasions, and I recall my first visit was in the um, 1980s, and it was moving into the special period, life was quite difficult and um, there were clearly problems about supply. And I remember a long discussion I had with Cuban people about the agricultural system that Cuba had developed and how we were sort of reflecting on the need for a more localised, more sustainable system of agriculture and fresh food production, which I'm pleased to say Cuba is now a model of around the world. And so it was that interest and that openness to develop, which I thought was so fascinating. But I also remember a little vignette, a piece of history. I was staying in a hotel which had a, an unguarded fan in it to keep us cool. It had metal blades. And I reached across the room 
and my hand collided with the blades and my hand was very badly cut as a result of this. I got to the hospital and the first person started asking who I was and um, why I needed treatment, at which point a doctor came in and told the person on the desk off very, very sharply, you're not to delay a patient with bureaucracy. What comes first is treating the patient's needs. And so they duly treated me extremely well, and I thanked them profusely for it. And in fact, it was just dressings I needed. Then they said, where are you going to? I said I was traveling onwards to Central America. I was going to Nicaragua and El Salvador. And they said, oh. And I thought, oh, goodness, have I said something wrong here? They said, no, wait. And they came back with the most enormous box of bandages, ointments, medicines, everything you could need. I said, well, that's really great, but I've got a cut hand. It's going to recover. I'll probably be okay in a couple of weeks. You've given me enough here for a year. They said, yeah, but people in Nicaragua need it. So I took this massive great box of medicine, which was um, I clearly didn't really need personally. And the first thing I did on arrival was present it to a local health center there. And they were very, very grateful. It's that sort of personal things that one remembers about Cuba. And and then they talked about Cuba's role internationally. And um, I don't think people should ever forget that the first international visit made by President Mandela when he released from prison was to Cuba to say thank you. Thank you to the people of Cuba for what they did to defeat the apartheid regime in South Africa. And um, it was uh, my pleasure on a visit to Angola where I led a parliamentary delegation there to visit uh, Quito Carnavale, which of course was the site of the great battle where many Cubans lost their lives. And there's a beautiful memorial to Cubans in Angola to say thank you for the part you played when the um, regime in South Africa was trying to defeat the new government in Angola and Cuba came to its aid. But Cuba's contribution in changing the living standards and life chances of people in Cuba is quite incredible, nowhere more so than in the system of health care. And the Cuban model has been fascinating in the ability of Cuba, not a large country, to send emergency doctors all around the world. I've met Cuban doctors in many places. I've seen them at work in different um, scenarios around the world. I wish we'd been in government to be the uh, government that had a good relationship with Cuba. But we're the people of this country, and we have a good relationship with Cuba, and long may that stay so. Thank you very much, Rob, and thank you all the other participants. That's all we have time for today. Thank you for listening to Alternative News. I'm Romina Betsen. Looking forward to your company again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.